welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over 10 years of experience. And this is Trisha, and I just want to give out a big shout out to all of our youpers out there. What is a youper? A youper is a nickname for the residents in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And actually, Courtney, behind Oregon, we have the most listeners in Michigan. That's cool. I mean, I'm not sure why, but I love it. So thank you, everyone in Michigan. We really appreciate all of your attention. Yes, we certainly do. Um, So our social media, um, where we like to get attention also, is as follows. Addicted to M podcast on Instagram. Addicted to Murder Podcast on Facebook, Addicted to Murder Podcast on Twitter, and if you want to email us, which, like, nobody ever has, um, <laughs> besides, like, junk mail, Addicted to Murder Podcast at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you, Trisha. Yeah. And that leads us into our favorite part of the show, which is our question time. Because it's about us. <laughs> and so this week it's my question. Okay. I'm and ready. I couldn't really decide between two, so I'm just going to make it a two part question. Okay. So, part one of our question is What was the first CD that you ever bought? So, not cassettes or records, because mm-hmm. I know you're older than me and yeah. you had more of those, but you're actual like. I did not have disc. records. I'm not that old. <laughs> I don't know. I did have cassettes. Good grief. (laughs) I did have cassettes. Okay, my first CD, uh, I think, was CNC Music Factory. Oh. Do you remember that? You know, everybody dance now. And and actually, I can sort of rap, if you will, the whole things that make you go, hmm, song. I believe that. I've done it at karaoke and then was ashamed the next day when I saw video. So we might need to reenact that sometime. Yeah, I need wine for that. So yeah. But what about you? So my first CD was Jewels, Pieces of You. Oh, okay. Which, as a fourth grader, I mm. definitely should not have been listening to. It is rather a revealing yes. CD, right up there with like the Alanis Morissette. Right. Jagged Little Pill came out about that same time, I think. Yep. There's definitely content that I had no idea what it was about. Yeah. Until I got older. Right. And I was in like freshman year of high school or maybe, yeah, when all that stuff came out. Mm-hmm. The 90s. Yes. We're rocking. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoyed them. Yes. All right. So part two of the question. Oh, shoot. So that was our, okay. that was our first okay. CD. So part two of the question is... What is the last song that you intentionally played and listened to? So, like, not came on the radio right. and you just so chose it, but, like, you're like, I want to listen to this song. Literally on the way home, I was listening to Keza Hideaway, or Keza, I don't know how to pronounce her name, it's spelled weird, mm-hmm. but it's, like, a fun club song, and earlier today, I was listening to the Tenacious D album, Getting Ready for My Concert. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was. How about you? Um, so in one of my sessions today, I was trading music with an eighth grader. And so I, um, introduced her to Under Pressure by Mm -hmm. Queen and David Bowie. It's a great one. It is. And, you know, RIP Taylor from the Foo Fighters, but every time I saw them play, that was his song that he would always do. He would like come out and sing it and Dave Grohl would play the drums for him. That's a great song. It is a great song. 
And I feel like, you know, we're recording this kind of just shortly after, you know, the the school shooting down in Texas. Um, yeah. And just parts of it seem so relevant mm-hmm. still. Right. Mm-hmm. We actually had a shooting at our school a couple years ago. We did. Different, but right. it, it was a, It was a parent was, that, yeah. that ended up getting shot. But. Yeah. Um, it's very scary. It is. I feel bad for all the kids. And the teachers. I mean, the the staff that are also, like, going through a lot afterwards. You know, they're, everyone thinks about the kids and having to put, you know, they're going to need help and therapy and blah, blah, blah. But the staff, too, <laughs> that are there. Absolutely. Are also in need, as we've seen, mm-hmm. personally. So. Right. And have that double responsibility of not only taking care of themselves, mm-hmm. but also taking care of all of their students. Yeah. So. Thank you, teachers. Yes. Let's throw that on there, and, too. Hey, and classified stuff. And classified stuff. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Don't forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, so we are done with BTK. He can suck a, li- suck a dick. I don't care. Whatever. Woo. We're done. Um, we're moving on, and I picked um, a, this case this time. And I actually uh, picked this case because – Long ago, I used to work in provider credentialing. I'll go over that later because it is relevant to this case. But basically, I've been in healthcare for since 2007. I'm a medical assistant. I was a EKG tech. I've worked at doctor's offices, and I've worked on the other side, right? Um, so I learned about this dude at conferences I went to, and it made me really intrigued. And I was like, this is perfect. Um, there are others like him. Um, healthcare workers. So that's basically what this is about. So with this analysis, I am convinced that most of you will like not only be pissed off by this deviant monster, but the system that failed to protect so many people. Um, we will present, you know, not only his crimes and his mental state, but we'll also talk about a broken system that was so corrupted by greed that it will blow your mind, I think anyways and um you know as courtney is passionate about healthcare, so am i and us americans know how costly it can be uh, both to receive it and the insurance premiums we have to pay to get our care so you know th- this is part of the reason why healthcare is so costly so anyways one second so without further ado i present or we present um the case of charles cullen um, so Charles Edmund Cullen, Cullen, sorry, was born February 22nd, 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey. He was the youngest of eight children, and he describes himself as a late-life mistake. I assume his family must have told him that at some point. His family was an Irish Catholic one and very dysfunctional. Char- Charles was allegedly, allegedly raped by his father as an infant. Yes, I said he was raped as a baby. By his father. Um, Courtney, so right off the bat, this kid is being abused, terribly abused. Now, most likely Charles cannot consciously remember this abuse, but can you help us understand what this could do to a baby? Absolutely. So there's what's considered a critical period in child development that occurs between birth and age three. Um, And so during this time, you know, the brain, the nervous system, language centers, um, social attachments and personality, they're all still very plastic and developing. 
And so when a child experiences abuse during kind of this critical time period, the results can really be like especially catastrophic. Uh, You know, research suggests that kind of developmental trauma like this is linked to ADHD, learning problems, um, difficulty regulating emotions, attachment disorders, and even violent behavior later in life. Um, So you're correct that, you know, Charlie wouldn't have a conscious memory of the abuse, but it would have, you know, fundamentally changed his nervous system. Um, You know, and there's a sort of a a phrase that's kind of thrown around when we talk about trauma, which is um, like the body keeps score Mm. or the body never forgets. So even if, you know, we can't remember exactly what's happened to us, like our body knows and our, I mean, literally our genetics are changed um, because of trauma. Wow. Um, There's a special place for his father. And, uh, <laughs> and he's probably there. Yeah. Is there, this is a little bit off topic, but I know we've sort of talked about pedophilia a little bit. Is there different, I mean, infant, is it the same regardless of age? Because this, I've never heard of a, a baby being like raped by a, I don't know. Is there, is it, is it just a pedophile, the dad? Or is there a different kind of pedophilia, like infant Elia? I mean, that's, there's no separate name for it, if that's what you're asking. Okay. Um, but this is an extreme case. Yeah, you know, different pedophiles have different yeah preferences. I guess you could say. Oof. Well, um, his father died. Charlie's father died when he was eight months old. So to survive, the Cullen clan relied on charity from their church, and they received some money from a paternal aunt's disability check and a little more money from his mother's sewing. So they were really poor. Um, yeah, and a very dysfunctional family. So Charles' child, Charlie's childhood was filled with drug-addicted brothers and sisters who came in and out of the house based on needs. Oftentimes, the sisters would show up pregnant, needing a place to go, and they too were often abusing alcohol or drugs. Charlie remembers strange men who would come and go frequently, visiting or doing whatever with his siblings in the rooms upstairs. Charlie reflected on one of his sister's boyfriends who was very abusive to Charlie as a child. Charlie's mother tried to protect him from what was occurring in the house, but she could only do so much to shield him. Courtney, can you elaborate a bit on what this type of environment does to a young kid? Yes, absolutely. Um, Kind of building on the last question, you know, what Charlie is experiencing um, is what we would consider to be complex developmental trauma. Um, And so this term is used essentially when a person doesn't just experience like one event or one type of trauma, but is impacted by a combination of factors and circumstances um, that sort of each could be considered traumatic on their own, but occurred together and over a a long period of time. So, you know, the impact of poverty and its derivatives, you know, like malnutrition, Mm -hmm. increased risk of exposure to like unsafe conditions, like maybe lead in the water, Mm -hmm. um, you know, poor air quality, that kind of thing. Um, They all have an impact on, you know, growth and brain development. Having people around who are using drugs and alcohol um, naturally creates an environment that's chaotic, it's unpredictable, and sometimes outright dangerous. You know, there's the risk that 
young kids might accidentally ingest substances if they're just lying around. Um, they might get hurt if the adults acting erratically around them or are unsafe. Um, and as you kind of mentioned, there tend to be random people in and out of the home that are likely to be criminals, mm -hmm. um, you know, or take advantage of circumstances. Right. You know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Charlie or his other siblings experienced additional physical and sexual abuse from these strange men that were around. Um, and kind of like you said, he also reported witnessing his pregnant sister being beaten by her boyfriend on multiple occasions. So having experienced all of these repeated traumas, it's likely that, you know, Charlie experienced intense anxiety symptoms, depression, and some pretty disrupted attachment. Um, and that could look like things like having difficulty sleeping, nightmares, feelings of sadness and hopelessness, hypervigilance, so that always being on high alert, looking out for danger, difficulty trusting others, particularly maybe adults that were supposed to protect him, anger, irritability, tantrums, and a multitude of other possible behaviors. This kid's just set to, say, to fail. I mean, he needs a break, but he doesn't get one. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Char Charlie predict predictably describes his childhood as miserable, and like we can see why. Charlie was so unhappy, in fact, that he had his first suicide attempt at age nine. He drank the chemicals of his chemistry set in hopes to end it all. Apparently, this was a very cheap chemistry set, so it just made him sick. Courtney, to me, nine years old seems way too young to even understand suicide. Can you tell us a bit about when suicide really comes into play in young people's minds? Is this a rare occurrence? And do you have any stories of children you have treated that have done this type of thing and uh, what it was they were actually trying to accomplish? Yeah, so, you know, children who are nine years old, they do have a realistic understanding of death, particularly when they have experienced, like, the death of a family member, um, which Charlie had. So he would understand that dying was forever. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, people consider suicide when they feel as though their pain is unbearable and they're hopeless about their life ever getting better. Um, and so while, you know, suicide attempts are pretty rare in children this young, but it's not unheard of. Um, and, you know, especially kids with trauma and depression, um, having suicidal thoughts um, isn't extremely uncommon, like within that population. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have worked with kids, you know, as young as eight who experienced like severe suicidal thoughts. And most commonly, you know, the reasons they give include things like wanting the bad things to stop, um, believing that nobody loves them or that they are in some way bad and like don't deserve to live or deserve to die. Um, which is heartbreaking. Uh, and really, you know, these, these reasons aren't that different than the reasons adults have, and they need to be taken just as seriously. Would you agree that his actual attempt was kind of rare? Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. most, most kids who make a suicide attempt do not ingest chemicals. Right. Um, hearing about this kid's childhood and that he was so desperate 
to end. I mean, it's just, I'm almost going to cry. I don't know. This just breaks my heart. So, you know, to make things real fun for him, he was bullied a lot at school um, and at home by his sister's boyfriends, like we said. And apparently, at one time, he attempted to poison his sister's abusive boyfriend with lighter fluid. But he must not have given him enough because there wasn't any record of this guy getting sick or dying. But he tried. (laughs) Um, So we can see that Charlie's starting to get, like, desire for revenge on his enemies. Courtney, we will see this play out later on. Charlie will attempt to and will poison people in the future, some who have wronged him and others who have not. So what's going on at this time? What kind of diagnosis would you give a young boy who was abused, attempted suicide, attempted to poison people um, with the intent to harm them? Yeah, um, that's a lot, of Mm -hmm. course. So here we have Charlie, right? Let's say he's 10 years old-ish. He's experienced nothing but abuse and neglect for pretty much his whole life. He has not really had any positive role models to teach him how to manage his emotions or what to do with anger. You know, if anything, he likely saw others use violence to solve problems. So it would be natural for him to kind of, you know, copy what he's seen. Um, But him not being, you know, a large person who was physically intimidating, like poison, Mm -hmm. would be a way that he could, you know, kind of act out violently. Um, Where his size didn't matter. Right, exactly. You know, and and that being said, you know, most people who experience trauma like Charlie's do not try to poison other people. Um, So that should be said. Okay. Now, if I were working with a 10-year-old Charlie, so to speak, um, I would probably diagnose him with post-traumatic stress disorder um, and depression. And then... I would probably be considering either reactive attachment disorder or conduct disorder. Um, And so as a little refresher, since we haven't talked about it in a while, reactive attachment disorder is given when trauma from a primary caregiver impacts a child's ability to build trusting relationships with others. Um, And this can include like manipulative and violent behaviors. Um, And then conduct disorder, on the other hand, speaks more to a pattern of antisocial behaviors including like lack of empathy lying and violence but doesn't necessarily have to be connected to trauma Um, and really I just don't have enough information about Charlie's relationships with others um, or you know potential other criminal behaviors other than the poisoning Mm -hmm. um, to really officially give either but I'd probably lean towards um, reactive attachment okay Well, one day in 1977, when Charlie was 17 years old, he was playing hooky from school because of his his severe depression, and the phone rang at home, and it was um, the hospital or police telling him that Charlie's mother and sister had been in a car wreck, and Charlie's epileptic sister had been driving the car, and Charlie's mom did not survive. Um, When he arrived at Mountainside Hospital, the staff had told him that his mother's body was already taken away and that he could not see her. Charlie was convinced that the hospital had lied to him and he was angry that he that they disposed of his mother's body before he could say goodbye and he could not forgive them for that. He basically said he could never trust any hospital or hospital system ever again. And I suspect that his mom's body was damaged um so they maybe did 
did lie to a minor and not let him see her, see her, or maybe one of the siblings had already come and, you know, it really was gone. But whatever happened, he vowed revenge on all hospitals. This anger towards the hospital fueled the fire inside of him, and he again attempted suicide. This time, he, his attempt had landed him into the psych ward, but he refused to talk with anyone there. He was sub- subsequently released and sent home and to the place that was now empty of the only person who had ever really cared and protected him as much as she could, apparently. Charlie was a Catholic, and he did believe suicides would go to purgatory. And based on the book that um, we've um, been looking at, which we'll talk about more in the next episode, um, he didn't really want to die. He wanted to be sick because when you're sick, people feel sorry for you. Several months after his mother's death, he was at a school party, and there were several kids there who had bullied him in the past, and he decided it would be a good payback opportunity. He laced several of their drinks with rat poison, but nobody died. And soon after this, Charlie dropped out of high school before he graduated, and he joined the Navy. Uh, Courtney, any thoughts? Well, you know, I suppose it is possible that Charlie was not actually trying to kill these bullies, but wanted to make them suffer the way he had suffered by just making them sick. Um, But whether he intended to kill at this point or not, we can see that Charlie's anger and resentment are obviously increasing. Um, And as a result, so are his revenge fantasies and violent urges and depression all sort of mixed together. Um, And then when talking about why he chose the Navy... Uh, Charlie said that he picked it over the other branches of the military because in the Navy he was, quote, probably not going to die, but he could, end quote. He had like this mixed thing going on like with the death thing, like close to the edge, but he didn't quite want to do it. And he says it was because he was Catholic, but I don't know, maybe there's something else going on there. Yeah, some ambivalence about wanting to continue living. Yeah. So Charlie was bullied in the Navy in the Navy, the same way he had been bullied at home and in high school. Um, he had a nickname in the Army that, or the, sorry, the Navy, Fishbelly. There were others too, um, but they're, I'm not going to say them because they are terrible. Um, and this wasn't a nickname, Fishbelly, given out of fondness, but at least he didn't give it to himself like some others we could mention. <laughs> Stupid Dennis. Uh, Charlie did rise to the rank of petty officer on the USS Woodrow Wilson, but he was unable to cope with life on the ship. He was constantly getting in trouble on the big boat and did odd things like wearing surgical clothes while uh, on missile control duty. He also discovered how much he liked alcohol while in the Navy. He drank and he drank and he drank. He would drink so much that when he didn't have alcohol, he would drink Listerine. This habit of drinking Listerine got him placed in the infirmary and the psych hospital many times while in the Navy. Charlie did try to get out of his six-year contract, but that just got him in more trouble with his um, you know, commanding officers, and he would lose rank, and he would lose pay every time he tried. So one desperate day, he decided to drink cleaning solution. He reported what he had done to you know whomever in the infirmary, and he was transported to a naval hospital. This was his third time in the Navy he attempted suicide. So finally, in 1984, he was medically discharged from the Navy. Courtney? You know, at this time, it seems as though Charlie has learned that attempting suicide, specifically in a manner that is unlikely to actually be lethal, is the easiest way to get out of a situation 
or avoid emotions that he no longer wanted or felt he could deal with. Uh, it's, it's a way of trying to express the intensity of emotions that he was feeling, but it often results in others feeling manipulated, you know, and frustrated. And, you know, this is often a behavior that's attributed to borderline personality disorder, among other things. Um, and I think that uh, BPD is something we will continue to explore as a possible diagnosis for Charlie as an adult um, and as we continue to learn about him and his relationships. You know, so borderline personality disorder is associated with both reactive attachment disorder and complex developmental trauma. Um, honestly, though, I'm surprised that the Navy allowed him to stay enlisted as long as they did and that his mental illnesses had not prevented him from serving at all. We're going to see that people keep Charlie around a lot longer than they should <laughs> going forward, and the Navy is just one more of those things. Um, so it's exciting to have possibly a new personality disorder to discuss, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll hear more about that going forward, I'm sure. Um, his uh, ex-wife did say that she thought he had that so mm -hmm. so after his discharge charlie enrolled himself in the mountainside hospital school of nursing he was the only male student in the class and he actually did really well he was by all accounts a really smart guy charlie was nominated and he won class president in fact and it was ironic that the hospital that he felt stole his mother's body from him now placed him upon an honor such or placed him an honor such as class president of the nursing program. Charlie was working many jobs during this time to pay for his nursing education. And one of his jobs was for Roy Rogers. Uh, it was a barbecue joint. And his boss's name was Adrian. And she was far different from the girls that Charlie had known growing up. Um, she had a business degree and was working her way through life, paying off her student loans. She really just was, you know, a woman with a plan. And Charlie was quick to put on the charm when Adrian and her boyfriend broke up. He showered her with flowers and candy and little gifts. Uh, this flattered Adrian, and six months after their first date, they were engaged. After their honeymoon at Niagara Falls, they returned home where Charlie had his first official hospital nursing job waiting for him. He was a nurse at the burn unit at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey. So um, that's kind of where we're going to stop for the day for his background. And that's basically taking him from his horrific childhood to his first marriage and his first job as a nurse where he really gets into shit. Okay. Yes. Courtney, do you have any thoughts? You know, hearing and reading about Charlie and, and his childhood, it reminded me that really, like, no matter how many stories that I hear about, you know, horrific trauma that people, particularly children, have experienced, it, it just doesn't get any easier. And while I will never say that trauma excuses violence, particularly serial murder, you know, I do think that it can be important to remember that Charlie, like so many others we've talked about, was once just a child who had done nothing wrong to deserve the treatment he got. Right. And, you know, sometimes I feel like our message might get lost a little bit in this podcast. We do go over the serial murders um, and their crimes, but 
what motivated us to start this in the first place was what happened to them to make this their life. And could other, could people be, could this have been prevented had intervention been an option? And can we help, you know, awareness? (laughs) It is mental health awareness month It is in May. I don't know when this comes out. It probably won't be anymore, but (laughs) Anyways, I'm just trying to say that, like, I hope that everyone that is listening that, you know, if you do see something that concerns you about a child or you know someone that you're concerned about, you know, there's no one there to advocate for these kids if if the people that are around them don't do it. So it could be uncomfortable. It could be, you know, something you're not wanting to do, but I don't know. Yeah, and I mean – we can only imagine how differently, you know, Charlie's life could have gone if, say, he'd gotten mental health help and intervention. Had he been removed from the home. Yeah, or even know. just at age nine after right. that first suicide right. attempt. If he had gotten intensive services, mm-hmm. his life could have turned out so much differently and all of his victims, you know, wouldn't be victims yeah they wouldn't be victims and just so you guys know there were a shit ton of victims so we will definitely get into that next time um i'm not sure how long this one will be because i'm still reading through the book and i have many flag tags in my book so (laughs) every time i saw something weird i'm like there was a lot um i thought this would be an easier one than btk as far as detail but it's turning out not to be but it's also very fascinating how this shit rolled down the hill and it rolled down a big hill. Yes, it did. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Please like, follow, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Um, Rate and review. Yeah, that's awesome. That would be great. Um, We really appreciate everyone and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.